0: to episode 177 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 9th of May 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelim. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Phelim and Will, you went last time. Graham, I know you've been itching to tell us your discovery. You
1: promised us a synth, and I'm really hoping you're not going to disappoint. Okay, so yes, it's a completely open source synth called Surge um, and Surge XT. Surge XT is a kind of version that they try and make a little bit of money about out of. But either way, they're both open source. You can download the source and you can run it as a plugin or you can run it as a standalone synth. Now, when I first did a synth, I don't know however long ago it was now, it was a synth called Vital, which is perhaps my favourite. Vital is like a, a wavetable synth, as I explained at the time. Whereas Surge has got this kind of what is known as a traditional kind of subtractive design. So it's got like three oscillators and then it's got a filter section and then it's got envelopes and LFOs. All. If you don't know about synths, it doesn't matter because it comes with hundreds of presets and it's really, really powerful and much more like um, a traditional synth you could buy in a music shop um, or or a Moog, for example. At the same time, it's really advanced. It's got a great UI. It's much easier to use than Vital because it's it follows the same kind of synth paradigm as like my, many synths. Um, and it comes with some really great effects that you can install on their own as well. Like effects kind of add the icing to a sound. You often have delay, for example, or reverb to add an echo, but it also has some really great distortion sounds. So I should play it. Yeah, let's cut to the chase here. Let's hear what it sounds like yeah okay 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 so this is a sound called um squelchy um. the really cool thing about it the thing that gets me excited is that it supports mpe which is which um so did vital but open source didn't seem to win on this mpe stuff so mpe allows me to like control the pitch of different notes at the same time so this one like a guitar and then I can and then I can do it at the same time. <laughs> the thing you can change so the... the I'm I'm just wobbling my finger on the keyboard then because it supports after touch. After touch is like the amount of pressure that you put polyphonic aftertouch yeah and it does have polyphonic aftertouch that's part of mp that's uh, part of the distortion effects but it's really flexible so there were two different sounds different kinds of sounds um this is a really cool sound let me play this uh
0: do the windows 2000 uh, (laughs) startup sound with that
2: no 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 no. i've i've been watching blade runner 2049 Mm. only the
1: last weekend it sounds awfully similar yeah they're great sounds i think that may have been a cs80 or Stream.
0: does it have a juno style chorus in it i don't
1: know the it has a chorus effect and it's pretty fat Uh, let me find a sound with one on Once again, you're listening to Late Night Synths. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I don't know when to stop, but um, this is all the synth you need, basically. It does absolutely everything, and it sounds amazing, and it's free. It's been around for a long time, but they did a UI facelift on it um, about 18 months ago, two years ago, which made a huge difference. It makes it, even though the, the engine is the same, just changing the UI and making it much more accessible really makes a big difference. Um, It's easy to use and the sounds are great. I love it. And it's easy to get going on Linux as well as Mac
0: and Windows, presumably.
1: Yeah, so I am. I know I'm recording this on a Mac, but I am running the synth on Linux. I've got the the actual analog outputs plugged into my audio interface. So this is playing on Linux. And so all those effects, everything, I haven't augmented it in any way. And that's the raw sound out of Surge.
0: Wow. And is it easy to install
1: then? Yes, it is. I mean, there are binary files for your favorite distro. You usually have to use it as a plugin.
0: So using it in Ardour, then?
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but there is a standalone version, but it's a bit hard to get that running. Um, I'm running it as a plugin in Ardour, right? And Ardour works with Ulcer these days, so you don't need to get Jack running, um, which is a pain. As flexible and as great as Jack is, um, and when I say Ulcer I mean it's just talking directly to the to the audio driver. Um, quite a few things do this now. Bitwig does it on Linux as well. And it's a, I think it's a great solution. If you're only going to be running one app, um, you get the best kind of performance and you get the raw data going straight to your audio interface without having to mess around with Pulse Audio or Pipewire, which can affect the quality by its own internal mix downs and things like that. Well. Do let
0: us know, dear listener, if uh, Graham should do a live stream where he does this for like three hours. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, while you work. (laughs) All right, so my discovery is uh, a little more pedestrian, and that is that the Unity desktop is still alive. So there's a new release of Unity 7.6. Now, the previous major version was released in May 2016, back before Ubuntu moved to Gnome and everything. So. A lot of people assume that it just died, but because it's open source, it didn't. It lives on. And there is actually a remix, Ubuntu Unity, which I assume hopes to become an official flavor one day. And it's actually pretty good. If you really loved Unity, it's just old school Ubuntu with Unity. Only they've actually updated it. It's actively maintained, if only by a small team hey, you can use Unity if you want to. And I found out about this in an article on The Register that also mentioned a new release of Trinity. Now, Trinity is a fork of uh, KDE 3, I think, Phelan? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because when 4 came out, people were like, oh, I don't like this, and so Trinity carried on. And of course, you've got Mate as well. It shows the kind of uh, inevitability and almost invincibility Of open source, like nothing ever really dies, does it? And is that a good thing? In a way, definitely yes, but in another way, like, is it really a good thing?
2: It's a very good question, and I really don't know why anybody would want to be sticking back in KD three now these days, but. I mean, they're not doing anybody any harm, I guess, if they keep in their shack. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but is this not the power and the curse of open source in one? Well, I don't know if it's a curse really, though. I mean, because if, if they're interested
2: in KD3 and they don't want to go to 4 and then on to 5, then, well, really, they've kind of reached the level that they want to be at, right? So they wouldn't have come along for the ride anyway. So maybe it's a good thing that they can go off and do their own thing. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool that you can run probably KD3 apps that never made the transition. Not that I have. Ah, Amarok. (laughs) K-Album. The the thing that with Unity is surprising because I remember all the hate on the internet that there seemed to be for Unity at the time, for Canonical's Unity.
0: Yeah, and then the second they announced they were killing it, everyone just suddenly loved it.
1: And it's still going. um, And There's still enough fans out there to keep it going, and that's what makes me think of.
0: But then you look at what Ubuntu has done, with the GNOME desktop, and it is very similar to Unity. Glancing at it, you wouldn't know the difference. There are some functional differences, of course, but superficially, it's broadly the same. It makes you think, well, what's the point? But then you could say, well, what's the point of Mate and Cinnamon and Budgie and XFCE and LXQ and Plasma? They all follow a basic paradigm that's been around for 20 or 30 years at this point, do we really need them all? Well, no one needs anything on computers, but the answer is we clearly do need them, otherwise they wouldn't exist.
2: I think to say that we don't need them, I mean, I don't fancy writing all my work in machine code directly to the processor, uh, but I think it's important to have something you like using. You've got to inspire people to do the thing they like, and if all these people like doing these things, that's great. I mean, as long as it's secure and it's not On the internet, like those XP copies that are probably still dotted about the place, causing all sorts of harm. But I mean, yeah, that's fine. As long as it doesn't die, you know, it's that thing of software's never finished, it's only abandoned. And well, if those people don't abandon it and keep it going, happy days.
0: My second discovery was just randomly recommended to me on YouTube. And I'm not joking, it is 10 hours of the sound of a hairdryer. (laughs) You need medical help. (laughs) This thing's got 17 million views. It seems that people put this on to send their babies to sleep Mm. or whatever. Now, I use a white noise machine to sleep, don't get me wrong, but I have the uh, Star Trek uh, bridge Mm. sound from TNG, which is a nice low rumble. It's it's white noise with it filtered, like, I can't remember the frequency, but quite a lot of the top end off, so it's more of a low rumble. Whereas hairdryers just sound fucking horrible. Who would listen to that? But apparently they do. And uh, this is from logging into the Late Night Linux YouTube account that I don't use for anything other than posting videos, and it just randomly gave me that. (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Go to kolide.com slash late night Linux to sign up today. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Collide helps deal with some of the many issues that are not solved by locking down devices, like instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash late-night-linux. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. And we had quite a lot of feedback about how computers these days are really complicated, but not as exciting as they used to be. We talked about this, uh, it seems like weeks ago at this point. Achilles said, the majority of people don't care, and that's always been the case. But now, the knowledge is a lot more accessible, and it's actually driving interest in younger generations. You can't expect more than a minuscule fraction of the population to be interested in any topic, whatever that is.
2: An anonymous person said, hi, I think you guys overlooked the fact that even in the past, most people weren't interested in the inner workings of computers. Back then, those people would just not use a computer. But now, at least even the non-interested crowd gets to benefit from computing. There are kids out there who want more than just a virtual toy box. It's just that they don't stand out as much now that everybody uses computers and not just them. And we actually heard from some young people as well.
3: Kev wrote in to say, as someone born in 99...
0: What? 1999. Oh dear, we really are old. 18 surely.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The bad news is that people my age are no longer interested in actual computer science, but rather web development. coder is the new doctor. Everyone is funneled into this idea of getting a CS degree and working for some large soulless corporation. While open source is more popular than ever, I feel most of my peers are more interested in working in Silicon Valley with no care for moral imperative as long as they get paid six figures. I used to ask myself, how could someone write literal malware and be okay with its shipping as a product? Now I feel so terribly naive. No one cares about the speed anymore, and I'm certain my generation will find new and innovative ways to make software slower. But it's fine, because Moore's Law is definitely a real law and not something some guy just said. Right, guys? Right?
1: (laughs) 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 And we had another um, message from Parker. From my middle elementary school experience, out of about 3,000 kids, only 15 or so know how to reinstall Windows, and I'm the only one who even knows what a kernel is. Going further, most kids are so used to the Internet that they basically just equate content equals Internet. Most of them can't even imagine going without a phone or internet for more than a few hours. And the idea of a physical keyboard for anything other than work is just blasphemy. Frankly, the next generation is, based on my estimation, utterly fucked. No one knows what a CPU die is, or a protocol is, or a handshake, or really anything beyond what's necessary to use Snapchat. And Daniel
0: said, I just wanted to let you know that the flame burns on in my generation. Sure, it may not be as widespread, but we are still here. I've been interested in the inner workings of computers since I was a small child. Hell, I had my first Pi at age 11 and built my first PC at age 13. At 16, I started delving into Linux and found your podcast. And then Daniel said some very nice things, which I've edited out here. So it seems like it's a, a bit of a mixed bag and you've got a lot of young people interested but they are still really, really in the minority because most of them just don't give a shit. And I think that what Achilles said there at the beginning of these bits of feedback really rings true. It's only ever really been a small fraction of the population that's interested.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And um, we've probably lived in a bubble for far too long. It's certainly the case when I was at school, it was just a few of us who were really interested into computers and probably, yeah, 99% of people weren't. And it maybe hasn't changed. Still, loads of people have become used to using technology, of course, but they're they're ignorant, perhaps, of Facebook owning WhatsApp or Meta um, and what that might mean for their privacy. They're just indifferent. They don't care. It's just another tool, just like their cooker. And maybe it hasn't been any different. I guess the only thing is that their cooker didn't track them wherever they went <laughs> and uh, it
2: ratted them out for, you know, using the wrong fish fingers or whatever. Um, that's a very stretched analogy, but it'd be nice if people did care more though, I think. And maybe there's still the same percentage of people care about things, but the problem is that I don't know. Maybe these days things are a bit too easy. Does that sound really old-fashioned? Like
0: <laughs> it's like if people have to work hard at computers; they they appreciate them more. Well, Graham, you had some further thoughts that you didn't think were related, but I said they're related. So let's talk about this at the same time. About you, Gen Xers.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm really reluctant to turn this into like old men raging at the the cloud or the sky kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it just strike me that. Yeah, I think Linux, um, GNU slash Linux, is a product of Generation X and the kind of attitude that if it doesn't exist, it needs to be created and you don't need to ask for permission and you just go out there and do it and solve a problem. You know, we were all neglected in our youth and we kind of filled in our time <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. Um, ah, this is where I sound like an old man, but I don't see that so much. Or if if people are bootstrapping things, they're doing so over already a complicated system, and they're just making things even more complicated and maybe not even solving the original problem. And I do worry about later generations being able to bootstrap things to solve problems in the way that Linux and open source came and did. And I don't know if there's a wider conclusion to draw from this, but I've just wondered really if, if there's a, a character or a personality to generations that may affect how open source or Linux develops in the future.
2: Something that uh, Stuart Langridge said back on Lug Radio Live ages ago, and he said, you know, if you talk about the start of the 19th or 20th century, sorry, uh, the early 1900s, let's put it that way, and you're into physics, it was like you could get up to speed and what everybody knew prior to Einstein and those lot kicking out a whole lot of stuff in several afternoons work <laughs> whereas you know once once all the big stuff started kicking over and it started generating more and more things like you have to st- spend about what seven ten years to try and get just up to speed that you might slowly push physics slightly forward if you don't make a balls of it
0: yeah and that's only in one very specific area it, yeah
2: exactly tiny minute area and it, i think that's unfortunately where things just end up going all the time uh, you know the more uh, Toolkits, there are the more abstractions we have, the more complicated people demand it. I mean, if you think about where the factor we've gotten with AI, where you know people like Elon Musk now wants to tell us that he wants to open source the Twitter algorithm, yeah, yeah, good luck with that because it's going to be AI based or machine learning or God knows what, and it's going to essentially be nobody knows how it works. They fed a load of stuff into it and it spat a load of stuff out. Generally, have no idea in what way it works, and you know that's
0: kind of where things are going there. Don't mention Elon, man. We promise not to say the word that got me fired.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I do have the perfect name for a podcast where we can talk about this stuff, and it's uh, Generation X11.
0: Oh, I like (laughs) it.
1: Fucking hell, you you can't be in there, Joe, you millennial scum. (laughs) I'm a
0: geriatric millennial, I think you're... No, no, that's what people who are millennials wish that they weren't, Mm -hmm. so shut up. (laughs) Well, at least I'm not a Zoomer, is all I can say. You so see, you're too old to even know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just making it up now. You're right, though, that it's very, very difficult to open source any sort of algorithms because basically no one knows how they work. Look at the, the YouTube recommendation algorithm. You find me one person at YouTube or Google who knows how that fucking thing works. Not a chance. It's it's become fucking self-aware at this point. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pain. It can't be stopped. <laughs> And I think that, Graham, your point really, I don't think it's much to do with your generation. I think it's just that your generation came around when computers went from being really basic and massive the size of a room to somewhat more complicated and much more powerful and much smaller and more accessible, but without being to the point where we are now, where they're just ridiculously esoteric, where, as Phelim said, with the physics analogy, No one person knows how every single bit works. It's not even possible at this point. You could spend your life's work and you could only become an expert in one tiny aspect of it. Like even the CPUs we have now, I would be very surprised if one person knew how the entire x86 CPU worked. They probably only know how one bit of it works and you've got a product manager that wrangles all the various people who know the various bits of it work. But things are just massively more complicated now.
1: Yeah, I do think you're completely right. I mean, I don't really believe in kind of generational differences so much because it's just a smooth transition. But you're right. Computers were much easier to understand and and get started with. And, and it's easier to create something for yourself. And yeah, I think you're both right. I think things have become far too complicated and open source is going to have to change accordingly. Blockchain,
0: immutable, <laughs> those sort of buzzwords will fix it. To the moon, as long as that moon is below ground. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late-night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and more. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to lino.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's lino.com slash late night Linux. Okay, John got in touch to say that the Baofang radio that Will, you talked about buying, isn't legal to use in the uk or usa that's not very nice of him. Mm, and he wrote this big long email which we're not going to read out but uh, basically just saying how yeah you're wrong and you need a license for this and it's a little bit easier than it used to be but you could get in trouble
3: uh we could tell watchdog but they've got bigger fish to fry <laughs> <laughs> like all things this is a nuanced topic and the answer that it's illegal is not strictly true the answer that it's perfectly legal is not strictly true It's legal to use on licensed channels, on licensed frequencies, if you've got an amateur radio license. And you should get an amateur radio license because it's quite easy and you can do it all online and it's interesting and you might learn something. You shouldn't use it on the PMR frequencies, like four, four, six megahertz. Um, They are restricted to very, very low power. But I didn't say it was a PMR radio. I said it was like a PMR radio. You should get a license and use it. And also, as John says in his defense, he says that come the apocalypse, then whatever, we don't care. So get one anyway, listen to whatever you want on it. And if you want to transmit, get a license. It'll be just
2: the two of you and your lead-lined anoraks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Me and my special radio friends will be in our own private bunkers, perfectly safe. Does
2: anybody else have a, a recipe for pasta that involves one <laughs> <No>. other ingredient?
1: <laughs> you, you forgot. Breakout breaker, breaker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 10 for good, buddy.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> All right, Mike got in touch. And said, Cloudfree.shop provides home automation items that are pre flashed with various options, including Tasmota. If I don't build my home device, I get it from there. And he also said that he'd switched to Plasma after hearing about it over and over again on KDA Corner. <laughs> so you've got one convert failing. Well done.
2: It is proceeding exactly as I have foreseen. <laughs>
0: yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd heard of Cloudfree.shop.
3: Yeah, this is an interesting thing. i would never heard of it before, and quickly poking around their website, I see a lot of familiar-looking devices, like rebranded or or white-labeled devices. Um, They seem to have Euro plugs, UK plugs, US plugs. Um, I suspect that I know who the OEM manufacturer of these are, and I've got similar devices, and they have been very reliable with Tasmota on them. So... Apart from the, the URL sounding a bit dodgy, they seem to be legitimate. Um, worth a try. Uh, there, there's an interesting device on there, a Xiaomi MiJia Bluetooth Temperature and Humidity Sensor, which they're reselling for $6.00. You can buy them from China for about that sort of money, and you can, interestingly, flash them from Bluetooth in your browser without even needing to pair with the thing. So that's pretty impressive, and I, I don't think they're making a whole lot of profit on these. So they, I don't think they're ripping you off. Sounds like a, it's worth checking out.
1: Right, well, I'll put a link in the show notes. So we've got a message from Vetzel or Wetzel. I've heard Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> I am a noble gas. <laughs> I've heard Phelan mention a few times on the show that he's reluctant to replace his TV because he doesn't want to get a smart TV that will stop getting software updates most likely before it physically dies. I'm of the same opinion. Have you considered looking into commercial displays? That's what I'm seriously considering when my TV dies. And at least the ones from NEC are exactly what you were looking for. If you decide you want smart features you could of course hook up a Roku box or something or some of the ones from NEC actually have a slot built in that's made for a Raspberry Pi compute module. So you could flash a module with something like Kodi then simply slot it in and up with a smart TV running mostly open source software you can trust. Well, I, it, the funny thing you mentioned, I did actually think of that, and
2: there was a supplier I had found in Ireland. The problem is you don't know anybody who has one. At least you can you know, say to your mates, what TV have you got? Is it good? With a display, unless you happen to see one in a shop or whatever, it's very hard to know how good they are. But it's interesting that, that you talk about one that you can get a, a Raspberry Pi into. That's quite interesting because, I mean, like, I would have one hooked up to my current TV anyway. And I really just want a screen. So this might be the route to take. It's just known if they're reliable. That's the only other thing. Look, just buy a smart telly.
0: connect it to the internet and you'll be grand.
2: (laughs) Unless you can get see-through tinfoil so the Wi-Fi doesn't work (laughs) on the thing,
0: then I can't cover the screen, can I? Ah, Just crack it open and just, you know, pull the chips off the board or something.
2: You just know the second that thing gets somebody with a free access point driving past, that thing's going to suck onto (laughs) the internet and (laughs) rat you out.
0: And the RIAA are going to
2: be through the door within five seconds.
0: Well, maybe you shouldn't be uh, doing all those naughty things
1: failing. I'm not, but it's going to wrap me out anyway. <laughs> yeah. Or
2: your CB buddy
1: as well. <laughs> Wetzel also asked, what's the weirdest, most edge-case piece of hardware you've put linux on than actually used Uh, i don't know if it really counts as edge case but for me it's my surface pro 7 tablet that i have running debian and gnome with a custom kernel that has the necessary drivers it's my daily driver and i've done some tweaking to gnome to make it more touch friendly oh that's impressive is that an arm surface pro tablet you will have to write in and tell us but
0: no i think they're x86 but they just don't play nicely with linux
2: okay that's interesting yeah because i mean i know that they
0: have that whole lockdown thing with the arm processor eh, it's still pretty good though i haven't really installed linux on anything weird and then actually used it i've uh, you know i've got this old tablet that's an x86 tablet and i you know I put it on there just to see if i could and i've done quite a lot of that just to see if i could but nothing that's ever really stayed in production i don't think
2: no my my hardware history is pretty sparse to be honest it's just yeah, old gear back in the day, maybe, but yeah, can't think of it. I've done weird stuff like a, a fax server that turned it into PDFs and shared it on
1: Samba, but I mean, that was just modems hooked up with serial cables, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think of stuff I've actually used. Um, putting open WRT, which isn't quite the same, put that on the uh, a router and I do use that.
2: Yeah, I've got my own custom router, but it's a PC engines board and it's kind of designed for open firmware to go on it, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, I turned one of those uh, media boards, the really low-power Salaron boards, into a NAS, but, I mean, that's not really that far out of its uh, original design, is it?
3: I think it was in the, the late 90s, I came to own a piece of equipment that had four camera inputs on a on a PCI card on the back. I think it had a Pentium two processor in it, so that's the sort of age it was. It was in a, a metal-hardened case, and I think at some point in its life, it was perhaps under a motorway gantry connected to some speed cameras. And this device came into my possession through an a anonymous donor. And I replaced the hard disk and um, got Linux running on it. It was Ros running some sort of uh, Windows. I, th- I guess it was Windows NT or something like that. And I got Linux running on that and uh, I used, I hooked up some uh, some cheapo like, S-video cameras to it and I used that as a CCTV
0: system for a few years uh, and it ran quite nicely. That's pretty cool. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the open source and Linux news. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.